When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. With the U.S. government now having logged around 500 reports of UFOs, it's a wonder that there is not yet any concrete evidence of extraterrestrials. Or is this evidence just being hidden? Welcome back to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, where this week we're looking at real UFO encounters and speaking to those who have come face to face with these beings. Let's kick off with some trivia. I love this sort of thing. Do you think this is fact or fiction? David Bowie was said to have seen UFOs as a child. What do you think? Well, you'll only find out right at the end of the show. Now, there have been numerous reports of people being taken by extraterrestrial beings, subjected to various experiments, and then returned to Earth with no memory of what happened at all. Well, we're going to be chatting to two people who have had their own extraterrestrial encounters today. But first, let's hear this week's paranormal experience from our listener, Joe, who sent a voice note on WhatsApp. And you know I love getting those. Hi, Molly and Yvette. My name is Joe. I've been listening to your podcasts for some time now and really enjoy them. And I just wanted to tell you about a few experiences that I've had over the years. First of all, my first ever experience is something I've never forgotten. And I've never heard of anyone having a similar experience. And I'm really puzzled as to what it is. And I wonder if you could help. When I was about seven years old, I was playing in my bedroom. It was daytime. The curtains were open. It was a light, bright day. I looked across my room as something caught my eye. And I saw a very thin, bright line of white light. It was glittering and moving in a wave-like pattern across my bedroom from one wall to another. I wasn't scared. I was just really intrigued as to what it was and why it was there. I sat looking at it for a little while, then decided I wanted to show my mum. So I got up and walked across the room. I had to step over it to get to my bedroom door, and it was very low to the ground, so I just jumped over it, turned round, looked at it, it was still there, and went out of the room to get my mum. When we came back to my bedroom a few moments later, it had gone. I was really disappointed as I was so excited to show my mum this wonderful thing I'd seen in my bedroom, but it just vanished. I've never heard of anyone seeing anything like this. I've never read any accounts of anything similar, and I'm just so intrigued as to what it might have been, paranormal or otherwise. Um, I used to work in a, um, in a laundry, and we had a large room at the back of the building where we worked, which was divided into a workroom, um, a restroom, and a toilet for the staff. This area could never get warm. It always felt freezing cold, even if we had big industrial ironing machines switched on, pumping out steam and hot air all day long. The minute you switched them off, it felt like all the heat in the room was sapped out. It was really strange, very odd area. It was an old, big terrace of properties in my hometown of Bournemouth um, that had flats above them and businesses on the ground floor. This one particular evening, I was the only person in the building and I'd gone into this room 
to sort out some paperwork. All around the inside wall was um, a large metal hanging rail. And on this rail were hundreds and hundreds of empty metal clothes hangers. Whilst I was doing my paperwork, I heard a jangling noise and I looked up and was astonished to see the hangers moving as if somebody was running their hand along this massive row of hangers, which was about eight feet long. I stood there absolutely terrified. I didn't know what to do. It really, really frightened me. I said out loud, you really scared me. I've got to go now. And I left the building and could never go back into that room by myself after that. I found it too, too terrifying. Other members of staff had strange things happen there. Um, you always felt like you were being watched if you were sat in the staff rest area. Another member of staff used to come in early mornings. She had a terrifying experience where she was making a cup of coffee in the kitchenette. And the toilet that was next door to the kitchenette, suddenly the door slammed shut and the toilet flushed and there was no one else there. She was the only person in the building and that terrified her. She'd never go into that back room again. And when she arrived to start her early shift, she would always turn up with a flask of tea so she wouldn't have to go to the kitchen. Um, other members of staff have witnessed whispering. It's like someone trying to talk to them. Another lady who used to do dress alterations and tailoring had an electric sewing machine, which used to whir and come on by itself, even when it was unplugged in this particular room. Nobody ever got any answers as to what went on. Years later, I spoke to a lady that ran a hairdresser's that was three doors down from this property that I'd worked in. She said, they would have strange things happening. In the hairdressers at the end of the day, everything would be left clean and tidy, mirrors, chairs, etc. She'd come in in the morning to find chairs moved and more than once or twice, handprints left on the mirrors which were clean the night before when she'd locked up. And what she found even more disturbing was these handprints, small handprints, like a child. <laughs> the next events I want to tell you about are to do with my father-in-law, who passed away 20 years ago. He was a lovely man. Um, I got on with him really well. Uh, when he passed away, a few weeks after he passed, we started having odd occurrences in the house. We had a cordless telephone which would sit in a little recharging unit when it wasn't being used. And when you sat it in a recharging unit, it would make a little musical noise. It would go diddle a dip, diddle a dip. And we started in the middle of the night hearing this phone making its little noise like somebody was lifting it in and out of the recharging cradle. First time it happened, my husband leapt out of bed and looked down the staircase into the hallway where the phone was kept on top of a bookcase. There was no one around. Everyone else in the house was asleep and nobody had touched the phone. This happened quite regularly for a number of months after my father-in-law passed. And I always thought it was him trying to make contact with us through a sensible means, the telephone. Um, fast forward a few years and my husband and I had gone to bed one night and I'd left my mobile phone switched off on the chest of drawers at one side of our bedroom. We'd not long gone off to sleep and my husband suddenly woke up thrashing around in bed. I didn't know what had happened. I'd heard nothing as I go to sleep with earplugs in because my husband snores. I removed the earplugs and my husband said to me, your phone has hit the bed and woken me up. And I went, what do you mean my phone's hit the bed as it was sat on a chest of drawers that was about four feet away from our bed. He said, you've left your phone on. I haven't, I haven't, I said, I told him. I picked the phone up and indeed it was switched off. Don't know how on earth it managed to travel across the room and hit the bed with the force that it woke my husband up. After that, I went to see a spiritualist medium and I said, I know it's you, Jerry, as that was my father-in-law's name doing this, 
but could you please not do things at night because we find them quite frightening. Through the spiritual medium, um, Jerry said sorry, he didn't mean to scare us and that he wouldn't do stuff at night again if it frightened us. Then a few years later, nothing had happened and I just forgot about it. Then one day, it was a Saturday afternoon, I was in my kitchen um, looking at a cookbook and we have an archway connecting the kitchen and the dining room in our house and my mobile phone was sat on the dining room table. Um, the only other person in the house was my youngest son who was in the living room playing on the Xbox. All of a sudden from the kitchen I heard an almighty bang come from the dining room. I wonder what it was, it sounded so heavy like a really heavy book had come off a bookshelf and hit the floor. I went and looked in the dining room and I could see my mobile phone lying on the floor face down. I picked it up, I had no missed calls, no missed messages, nothing. It had travelled again about three feet across the dining room table and hit the floor. I knew it was Jerry, I just did. I said thank you to him out loud and it made me feel so happy. And now to my latest incident I had was on holiday uh, about four years ago before COVID, went to France and we stayed in a holiday cottage in um, Normandy. It was very nice and peaceful in a very, very quiet little village. First night we were there, um, my children were in bed asleep and my husband and I were sat in our bedroom talking about what we were going to do the next day. My husband was lying down in bed and I was sat up. The bedside lights were on. All was peaceful and quiet. All of a sudden, I felt something push my feet across the bed and the side of the mattress dip as if someone sat down. I screamed. I didn't want to frighten my husband. So when he asked me what it was, I said, oh, I've got cramp in my feet. My husband doesn't believe in these sorts of things, but despite that, he does get very twitchy if I say I've experienced something. It absolutely terrified me. For the rest of the holiday, I couldn't sleep very well and um, enjoyed my time during the day, but just dreaded night in case anything else happened. Nothing happened to me, thank goodness, but I'll never forget. It's the first time I've ever been touched by a spirit and it terrified me, even though I feel quite glad that I experience these things. They do scare me in equal measure. Anyway, I hope I haven't waffled on too long. Thank you so much, Molly and Yvette. Really enjoy listening to the podcast and take care. Hi, Joe, and thank you so much for sharing your experiences uh, with me. Light anomalies absolutely fascinate me. Um, I have a feeling that the light that you saw sounds to me like a spirit form trying to manifest itself to you. And I wonder um, at that time if you've had any loved ones that had passed recently, um, because if so, it could have been the beginnings of them trying to, as I say, manifest right in front of you. It's one of the broadest discussions in the paranormal world um, are orbs. They really are spirit, dust or insect. I've had many a heated discussion over footage shot or pictures taken where some people believe that it's um, uh, some kind of spirit form coming through a spirit light or others believe that it's a speck of dust that has floated and been reflected back into the lens. But what it's doing on the lens um, or when you're looking at the picture, or you're looking through the viewfinder, it's showing it's, it's showing itself as a silver flickering glow, and it looks really quite well, mysterious and very beautiful when you, when you see it in a viewfinder. And sometimes the way that they move, um, you know, they're sort of gliding, floating, or they might suddenly change direction. Um, and most of them, I have to say, I do believe with the, um, you know, the open-minded skeptic that actually they are just insects or dust particles that we've managed to to capture uh, on film uh, or in a picture. Um, but there are some really amazing ones. Uh, there was one that we caught at Calaine Castle in the first series of Most Haunted. It was a weird, strange looking thing that actually looked like it, it, it 
could almost have been the outline of of a body sort of moving across the shot. That was really um, exciting. And and Joe, it what you saw as well sounds very similar to that. You know, sort of the beginnings of something. This sort of streak of of bright white light. How exciting that you saw it. And coat hangers and handprints. Now that reminds me of Most Haunted's investigation into the Queen Mary in the USA. What an investigation that was. And I know I've mentioned this before on the show, but um, I don't know if you remember, we sent a a member of the team to sleep in the Most Haunted room um, uh, on the ship. And uh, before he went in, he had to get absolutely plastered. I think he drank a bottle of whiskey or half a bottle of whiskey. Can't remember what the measure was exactly, but he was well and truly ready for a good sleep. Anyway, we placed a locked off camera in that room. And as the crew members slept, do you remember me talking about this? We all heard the metal coat hangers clattering and banging about, just like yours um, experienced, Joe. But then we heard a little girl's voice and we captured it and she says, Mummy. The next day, we discovered the famous wet footprints by the now empty swimming pool. Well, you all know about that. Well, do you know, I did exactly the same thing as well, Joe, with my dad. I said to him, stop moving things about and making noises in the middle of the night. You're scaring me. And you know what? He did bless him. And I haven't experienced anything in the night since. Uh, He said he was doing it. He was tapping out. He was doing it because it made him laugh. Well, as you can imagine, there were quite a few swear and choice words um, that I shouted out to my father after he told me that. Now, let's begin our investigation into alien abductions with an interview from Colin Saunders. He and his family had a close encounter with a triangle-shaped UFO in 1999, which he believes is extraterrestrial in origin. He wrote a book on this sighting as well as covering many other triangle UFO encounters. And when I was talking to him, I, well, you'll hear absolutely fascinating. Now, everybody knows I love UFOs. And of course, I'm absolutely, well, beside myself with excitement because Colin Saunders is joining me now. He's got a brand new book out called Triangular UFOs of the UK. And why I'm so excited, Colin, is because you've had an up-close and personal encounter with a UFO. How amazing and terrifying at the same time. Uh Good afternoon. I, I'd just like to correct you there. It was amazing, but it wasn't terrifying. It was oh, quite the okay. opposite. It was absolutely amazing, and, and it was such a wonderful experience. It's difficult to explain how excited I was when uh, when it occurred. But yes, we've had a very close encounter with a triangle. Uh, unfortunately, I was with my family at the time as well. So tell us all about it. When did it happen? How, what, what? Where were you? Okay, it was the thirty first of March, nineteen ninety nine. It was my mother-in-law's birthday that day. She was 72. Uh, We were living in Hinckley at the time in Leicestershire, and we decided to go out to a village pub in a a small village called Paleton, which is just on the Warwickshire border. Uh, To get there, we travelled down the Foss Way and then through the country lanes. Uh, There were two cars, actually, because my brother-in-law came along as well. He was in the second vehicle. So we had the family meal, the bar meal. Uh, We came to leave the pub at... um, it was 9.50 p.m. So we drove away. My wife was driving. and My mother-in-law, whose birthday it was, she was sitting next to my wife in the passenger seat. Behind her on the near side was myself, and then next to me was my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter. So there's four of us in the car, and we pulled off from the white line at Pelton. And I remember looking around and seeing my brother-in-law struggling to get the old lady, the old French lady who was in his party, getting into the Range Rover. So we pulled off thinking they'd sort of follow us along the lanes and that and soon catch us up. What time was this around? Was it early evening or was it dark? It was, yes. It was It was 9.50pm right. on the 31st of March. So it was right. dark, not quite 100% totally dark, but not right. far off. It was yeah. It was dark, basically, yes. So uh, Pelton is in the middle of nowhere. We drove through the country lanes heading for the Foss Way um, and it was pitch black as you would expect. And the Fossway as well has no lights on the road. And the Fossway leads up to the Watling Street, the A5. Uh, there's a big, there's a junction there called High Cross. So as we came towards um, the turning for the Fossway, 
somebody said, oh, we're turning onto the Foss now. And as a coincidence, my daughter said, oh, well, there's been talk of headless horsemen down here. Let's keep our eyes open. And we all sort of laughed and giggled. And then we turned the corner. We, we turned onto the Foss at the junction of the Foss Way. And as soon as we turned onto the Foss, there in front of us were these lights offering away by the side of the road. And they were mainly red lights with a bit of white mingled in. And we all go, my word, what's that? That's amazing. Never seen anything like it. There's no lights on the way up when we came up the Foss earlier. And all the years we've been up and down the Fossway, we've never seen any lights by the side of the road like this. And we were saying there's too many lights for an airplane and too many lights for a helicopter. And they wouldn't be that low anyway. And it was just, they were stationary. So we drove towards the lights. And it was exactly half a mile because I went back and measured the distance the next day. And we're still talking about them, getting excited as we more or less drove up to these lights and almost underneath them. Now, I would say they were 100 feet away from us hovering on the side of the road and we'd stop the car now I, I base 100 feet i always say this i've steered my friend's narrow boat along the ashby canal which is 70 foot long so when i say 100 feet i mean 100 feet i could have hit hit it with a cricket ball so as we stopped the car and were staring at the lights there was no craft there at all at the moment there were just these lights there were four big red lights in a and they were at an angle to the earth they weren't parallel with the earth they were tilted up at like 30 degrees. How big were the lights? I would say um, ooh, probably bigger than a football, but maybe one and a half times the size of a standard football. And there was four of those in a row. But there was also some other uh, red lights and a bit of white mingled in that you couldn't quite make out what was going on. But you could definitely see the four big red lights at the back. And I stared at one of the lights, the highest one on the angle, on the 30 degrees angle. And I could see what looked like a crisscross effect on the light, like almost like a lens on a traffic light. But you could tell that the crisscross effect on the lens was coming from the light source itself. I think it's something along the lines of Newton's law of ring interference. It was not etched onto a glass surface or anything. It was the actual funny side effect of the light emitting from these four big lights at the back. So as I'm looking at these lights thinking, what on earth is this? All of a sudden, I seen the sky start to sort of ripple around the lights. I thought, my word, there's an object there. There's something with the lights. It's not just lights on their own. As soon as I thought that, it decloaked. It was just like Star, Star Trek, you know, when the Klingon ship decloaks. It was just like that. And this, it decloaked in front of us. What we were looking at was the rear end of the craft. We didn't realize what we were looking at at the time, obviously. Uh, I've never been into UFOs before. So this was our first encounter and our first knowledge of anything to do with ufos but while we wasn't thinking it was a ufo at the time we didn't know what we were looking at so as it materialized it turns out that what we were looking at were four big red lights on the rear of this craft and then it floated up in the air that the front of the triangle the nose rose up in the air but it rose like a submarine underwater the way it floated up like a hydrogen balloon it didn't move like a normal aircraft would move and i guess this might be sort of anti-gravity that they were using to uh, manoeuvre the craft. But it, it floated up is the best description. Now, it was so close to the ground that if it had tilted from the middle of the craft, the rear end would have struck the ground. So the rear end of the craft stayed where it was, and then the nose floated up in the horse, like a stallion rearing up in front of you. And as it did that, it, it, it showed us the top surface of the craft, not the underneath, but the top, because we were looking at the rear end, and as it floated up, we could see the top of the craft of this huge triangle in front of us. And it looked like it was alive. It looked organic. It was unbelievable. The surface had got this like liquid mercury effect running up and down it, like little waves going up and down the surface. But then on top of this were these beams, metal beams that were interlocking, like an old-fashioned maze in an old English country garden. And I, I looked at it and I thought, three thoughts came straight into my head. First one was, my God, aliens exist. The second one was, abductions must take place. And the third thought was, they've been around for a while and this explains things from history that we don't understand. It was just incredible. The feeling as well, it wasn't being frightened or, or, or worried about it. It was quite the opposite. It was fantastic. Look, almost a feeling of love and affection towards it. It was just so astounding. I mean, I've worked in the aircraft industry in Germany and Sweden as a design draftsman, so I knew straight away it was not one of ours. And it was just incredible. We just sat there looking at it. 
Well, my wife and my daughter actually were a bit frightened. They they didn't know what they was looking at. But my mother-in-law, strangely enough, was like me. She she wanted to get on board, the same as me. We were dying to get out of the car and get a closer look at it. So what my wife did then was to drive forward to reverse into a gateway, which was pretty much underneath this craft. But as she pulled forward, this big hedge blocked the view. And I thought, if it's going to go, it's going to go now. And sure enough, she reversed into the gateway and we jumped out and it had gone. But in the distance, there was this craft going away with four big red lights on the back again, which you never see on any commercial aircraft or military aircraft. But the one that was going away was massive. It was like the size of a football pitch. And um, at the time, I said, there it is. It's, it's grown in size because I knew nothing about UFOs. Once I started doing a bit of research afterwards, I realized the one going away was probably what they called a mothership. And possibly the smaller one had gone back to the mothership. But as we stood there, there was no noise, no sound. It's what they call the, the Oz effect I've learned since then. And you could hear a pin drop. And there was no smell of any av aviation fuel or anything along that. There was no heat signature from the craft. It just been there and then gone. It was the most amazing um, vehicle I'd ever seen in my life. It was incredible. Um, it did cross his mind, especially as the years have gone by, it's crossed my mind. But my wife checked her watch at the time, and it was 9.50 p.m. Now, we don't know what time we left the pub. So I should have gone back the next day and found out what time we paid the bill. That would have given us an idea, but I didn't think about that at the time. But what was strange was when we got back in the car and then went home, the second vehicle that um, was still at the pub when we left was actually home before us. And all the people inside were out, inside the house. And we found that quite peculiar. We don't know how they managed to pass us whilst we were watching this craft like, and why they didn't see the craft themselves. So the next strange thing that happened, when this craft reared up in front of us, it was just like somebody got a pair of binoculars and put them in front of my eyes. That's the best way I can describe it. Because all of a sudden, I could see the beams on the surface close up. So they were right in front of me. So I could see them interlocking and see see them in how they were, how thick they were and, and how they basically interlocked like this old-fashioned maze. But then I got another close view of the nose, of the front of the nose. And I remember thinking how um, beautifully it had been manufactured. It was completely spherical. and It was just an incredible piece of engineering. And then I got another view in which was a side view, which showed the central white core of the triangle and the top and the bottom of the triangle rolled over like a hovercraft skin to join the central white core. And I remember thinking where the join was, there was no nuts and bolts, no rivets, no welding. And it was seamless. It was like it had just been molded in one piece, even though you could see there were dissimilar metals. So the top and bottom were different colours. They were grey, but had a thin white central core running around the around the craft itself. And that's how the top and bottom joined together. And from that, the next thing I remember is saying, let's get out, let's get out. And that's when my wife pulled forward and we lost view of the craft. Now, <clears throat> the next day, obviously, I started doing drawings and started making models and talking about this close viewing that I'd seen. And the best thing I could come up with, I had an out-of-body experience. So... I went down that route for many years of thinking that it was an out-of-body experience. Now, during the course of the 24 years, I, I started doing a lot of research and going to um, UFO conferences and meeting a lot of interesting people in the UFO world. And I met a guy called Bud Hopkins, the late Bud Hopkins. He was doing a presentation in Leeds at um, a UFO conference that we used to have there that Graham Birdsell from the old UFO magazine used to run. And I managed to have a chat with bud and i told him about this out of body experience how that when i was close to the craft all of a sudden it was like somebody had given me some binoculars and he said to me no no that wasn't uh, an out of body experience they were images placed in your mind telepathically by the aliens on board the ship and i thought that that sounds a bit far-fetched a bit strange like, that, that one had never crossed my mind um before he got a chance to explain any more that somebody else jumped in who wanted to talk to him and that was the end of my sort of 30 seconds, if you like, of chatting with Bud Hopkins. So I went away thinking that's a bit odd. And um, I didn't really take it on board as such. And I kept clinging to the outer body theory. It's true to say, I don't, I don't know why it occurred, but without the extra close viewing, 
I wouldn't have been able to build a scale model. I've built an exact scale model. So bearing in mind, I have been working in the aircraft industry as an, in, as an engineer, as a design draftsman. The model I've actually ended up with is an exact copy of what we saw that night. It's, I've got a liquid surface with beams on the top and all of the lights going into that as well. Now, without the close viewing, without those binocular type views, I wouldn't have been able to create such a um, accurate model. Now, one of the things I couldn't understand from the outer body experience was why I didn't see it roll. So from seeing the nose close up, like right in front of me, like six foot away, to seeing a side view of how it had been manufactured, I didn't see it actually turn in real time. It was just like one image, there were three images basically, one of the beams on the surface, one of the nose, and one of the central white core where the top and bottom joined together. Now, over the years, over 24 years of research, eventually um, a guy got in touch with me from America, sent me an email, and basically he started off by saying, because he'd seen one of my presentations, he said, just like you, I had three images placed in my mind when I had a close encounter with a triangle. So the same as me, he, he was watching this triangle. It was very close to him, like, you know, a few hundred yards away. But then he said all of a sudden he got these images placed in his mind and he, he'd got close-up views of the pipe work on the outside. And he got a close-up view of one of the lights, whatever the light is, a ball, a plasma, etc. And he thinks the third view that he had was inside the craft itself. Now, over the years, with the research I've been doing, um, I did read a lot of work from a guy called Dr. David Jacobs. Now, he's interviewed a lot of abductees, and they do talk about um, telepathy. And telepathy is not always... I always assumed that telepathy was talking, going backwards and forwards. But sometimes they say images are placed in the mind because, you know, a picture paints a thousand words. And I decided then that... Um, he was right. Bud Hopkins was right all along. It made more sense. I'd had three images placed into my mind by those on board the craft, or maybe the craft itself, because the craft looked to be alive. It looked to be organic. And that seemed to make more sense now. Now, also, because this is a program about paranormal, I started afterwards to have paranormal um, incidents. I'd never had any before in my life prior to the UFO. Now, after the UFO, the next day, things were starting to go wrong, electrical things at home. But over the next 18 months, I experienced some quite strange and bizarre uh, paranormal activity. Uh, and it seemed to me, um, if you like, I'll, I'll tell you one of them quickly to show the sort of thing that was going on. I, I love fishing. I was fishing down on the River Saw at uh, Rothley in Leicestershire. And I was standing in the river, enjoying myself, and I could hear these four footsteps coming across the field towards me. So I climbed up onto the field because people go down there shooting, the farm workers and that, and I didn't want them shooting in my direction. So I climbed up onto the bank to let them know I was there. But there were nobody there, but the, the noise continued. And these four footsteps are getting closer and closer towards me. And in the end, they walked in front, and I was really frightened, I have to say. And uh, I thought it was a big cat. That's why I was frightened. That's all I could imagine it would be. So I take a big spike out of my rod oil that I use for my umbrella. And I stood there to protect myself with it. And I thought, if it's a cat, I'm going to go back down the riverbank and get it to jump on me and impale it on its own weight. That's how frightened I was. And that was my game plan. But this thing, whatever it was, it walked from left to right, right in front of me, say six foot in front of me, making these four big footsteps. But nothing was moving. The grass wasn't moving and no twigs moving. And it sort of went to the right-hand side and and uh, just faded away. And I stood there and I thought, that wasn't a big cat. I mean, cats don't make noise. I then realized it was obviously something paranormal. So that day, that precise day, Yvette, that's when I decided that the UFO was interdimensional rather than extraterrestrial. Because for the first 40 years of my life, I'd had no experiences whatsoever. Then we was hit with the big one with the close encounter with the UFO. Then over the next 18 months, I was starting to have all these weird things happening to me. So they obviously came from the, the encounter with the UFO. And I believe now as well that because they placed those images in my mind, t telepathy, I think they opened up something in my mind to allow these other things to come through. Now I say that because the other three occupants of the car, my wife, my mother-in-law, my daughter, 
they didn't go on to have any other experiences after the event. It was just myself. So I concluded that the reason for that was because of the telepathy that took place on the night. And because of all of these other weird things that were happening, the UFO had to be dimensional. If it had come from another planet, from a thousand light years away and then disappeared, then you wouldn't be going on to have any other experience. It would just be a one-off. But because all these other things were happening, I knew that the UFO was interdimensional and for some reason it dragged these things with it. You know, it changed my mind to allow me to see these other things. It's absolutely fascinating to, to, to listen to this. And, and also with the things that you're saying, I've heard it time and time again, where, and you'll know this anyway, that people that have these UFO experiences go on to then have paranormal and what they describe as sort of poltergeist activity in their home, in their workspace, even in the car, you know, and they're, they're really genuinely terrified because they don't know what the hell's going on. So I really believe that paranormal activity, some paranormal activity is connected to UFOs or alien beings. Absolutely. And, and of late, they've even got a name for it now. They call it the hitchhiker effect. That's when people have close encounters and yes, go I've home and go on that. to have other yeah. effects. Yeah. It's, it so makes when I, perfect when I started sense. to write the book, I decided that I obviously wanted to write about my own experience and put everything into the book. Um, I do talk about all the strange stuff now. For the first 20 years, I didn't talk about the paranormal side of it. I just stuck to the nuts and bolts of the sighting because I thought people would think I was a bit, bit of a weirdo. But as time's gone on, you find that this happens more and more and it's becoming more commonplace. So when I decided to write the book, I wanted to write about my own experience and the things that had happened to me. But there wasn't enough there to fill a book. So I started to put in um, other people's uh, encounters because I'd, I'd had some um, articles published locally in the newspapers and people had written to me with what had happened to them. And it was, I was starting to build up a fantastic log of um triangular ufo incidences local but what i did people who were sending in reports of ufo uh, triangular ufos i was asking them if they'd had any other paranormal experiences apart from the ufo you know the same that i had i didn't tell them i had but i just wanted to know what their thoughts were and i was getting more people saying yes than no to the point where i've put a whole chapter in the book of people who have had experiences of triangles but have also had other paranormal experiences and it, it just seems to go hand in hand. Yeah. But one of the strange things about it is that I noticed that all of the people who have had experiences, paranormal experiences, seem to have them prior to the UFO. It seems to be a build-up. You know, as, as a child, they see ghosts and things. And That's true. And as yeah. time goes on, you eventually get hit with a UFO. Now, for me, it was the other way around. I'd had nothing. We'd got the big one, the UFO. Then after that, the paranormal stuff started to sneak into into my life and that uh, as an engineer i just found it all absolutely fascinating there was a bit of i would say a poltergeist activity at home where things were moving on i've seen bits of paper fold up and fold down on their own and and i just find it absolutely fascinating i don't find it frightening i've always said actually it's a science that we don't understand i mean once we understand it we'll have a better idea what's going on i don't think we need to be too afraid of, of what we're seeing and what's happening well I mean, I could disagree with your last um, statement there only because I've seen things that have absolutely scared me to death, um, you know, where you, the, the something's happening that's causing you, a, you know, a physical body to be harmed, cut, scratched, burned, you know, um, objects being thrown at you like carving knives. And that's the horrible side of it. And, the, in, and the, again... We've only just scratched the surface. We've not even scratched the surface, really, with any of it. Um, but the UFO and, you know, everything that you've experienced, like I said, so many people are having those experiences. And I think in certain circumstances, they do go hand in hand. And I think it's a very, it's so exciting to me. Do you know what I love about this is the fact that you are an engineer and you 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 have designed aircraft. And that to me just makes your encounter so credible to me. And the fact that you've built a model, is there, is there any way you could send us a picture of the model? Is it in your book? Can we get a picture of it? I'd love to see it 
Yes, I'll uh, I'll send you some images of uh, the model that I've made. We need those pictures because I'd love to share them on our social media because I know um, people listening would love to see what you saw and I think that would bring the whole thing together. Colin, can I just say it's been an absolute pleasure. I could listen to you all day. Um, now, you've got the book out. It's called Triangular UFOs of uh, the UK of the United Kingdom um, and I presume it's available on uh, Amazon for people to buy I know I'll be getting my own copy I can't wait to read that yes it is on Amazon yeah Triangular UFOs of the United Kingdom by Colin fantastic Saunders. Colin Saunders has been an absolute pleasure uh, really honestly I, I will be telling everybody about your story because it just it blown my mind thank you so very much and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Back in 2012, in the quiet village of Denbyshire, North Wales, a strange object with bright lights was seen and videoed. It was an oval outline that had bright lights coming from its exterior. Our guest UFO investigator and author Gary Jones became fascinated by this experience and conducted an in-depth investigation concluding that this is a genuine UFO sighting with amazing evidence to support it. He wrote... The Denby Lights, a truthful argument for the existence of UFOs. This details the full investigation, including photo analysis of the video that night and one-to-one -one interviews with the witnesses. Gary Jones, welcome to the show. You're a UFO researcher. You're looking to ancient history. Um, and this, I'm, I'm really fascinated by this. Uh, false flag events and forbidden knowledge. Now, before we get into UFOs, just tell me what those two things are. Well, false flag events are when fans tend to uh, blame events like terroristic events on certain people or groups, but then they turn out that the evidence doesn't really support what they say. It's usually, right. you know, inside and type things, you know. So I tend to look at those quite a bit, and it's amazing how much evidence usually supports uh, those kinds of ideas. Absolutely. And what about the forbidden knowledge? Is that something similar? The, the forbidden history thing is a book I, I read. Uh, it had a, something like that in its title. I can't quite remember the name of it, but this person had put together a thousand-page book, and it was like full of all these archaeological discoveries, and uh, some of them were big archaeological discoveries, some of them were just small things you could pick up in your hand. But when you discovered how they were found and where they came from, 
it totally um, changes the story of archaeology and ancient history as to, you know, was mankind really primitive in the Stone Age or were there remnants or di different descendants of mankind that were far more advanced all those tens of thousands of years ago? And I think if you look at the likes of ancient Egypt, Tiwanaku, Machu Picchu, um, Chichen Itza, and even now the Bosnian Southern Pyramids, they're calling them, is it? Not the ones? Yes, yeah, it's, absolutely I mean, I, I read, fa fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, I've read the work of Zachariah Sitchin and many other researchers. I don't agree with all of it, but I think the notion is clear that there was somebody here who was, or, you know, I, I'm not saying it's aliens, you know, because ancient alien people would say that. I just think mankind was far more advanced than we gave them credit for. And lately, for the last couple of centuries, we've been dumbed down to nothing more than mud. I, I completely agree with you. I think this, me, I'm, I, I'm an ancient alien theorist. I absolutely, you know, think that um, we came from out there somewhere. And I, you look at all the, you know, like you mentioned all these amazing structures. I have said that idea. Uh, yeah, these these amazing structures, and you just say, I'm sorry, you know, we did not construct those uh, pyramids. It, it wasn't possible. You know, they've taken these laser beams, these laser cutters, and they're saying, you know, some of these straight lines, yeah. you know, even a laser cutter couldn't have got it that straight through the stone. You know, it's just insane. And we, again, we listen to people, we, we, we read these books. Well, this person must know what they're talking about. They're a doctor. They're a, a scientist. They're a this. Oh, well, that, we must believe them because that's their theory and blah, 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 blah. And it's, no, do your own digging. Do your own have a good old look because there's more to it. We're only looking at theories at the end of the day, aren't we? Th yeah. That's all they are. They're just theories. Yeah, I mean, when it comes, I mean, the pyramids is always something that's fascinating me. It's just when, they, when they're telling me and they're telling you and everyone else that chisels and, you know, stone hammers and logs and ropes with just a bit of good, good old-fashioned muscle power. No, I'm sorry. I'm not buying it because, as you say, perfectly flat on all edges, no bumps or cracks or crevices or anything, no deformities. And then they're lifting 500,000 ton blocks of stone, granite stone in some cases, transporting them over huge distances and, and then building structures, which are yeah. so incredibly detailed with, you know, um, complicated maps and fractal geometry and star coordinates and stuff. No, sorry. No, I'm not buying it. Oh, I wish we were sat next to each other in the pub. We'd be having a right good old bottle of wine now, wouldn't we? We'd be, <laughs> oh, I'd probably order a bar. We'd be chatting away. I'd order the bar if we'd have discussions like that because they're the kind of things I like to talk about. So let's go to UFO cases and, and talk about um, some of the things that, um, uh, you know, some of the cases that you're intrigued with. We're talking about Denby Lights, Caldecott Triangle, uh, the mystical lights of Merthyr Tidville. Um, is there a particular UFO case within those that a lot of people might not have heard of that, that really fascinate you? Um, obviously, the Penturk incident is uh, the big one I'm looking at. That one is really brimming with evidence now. Tell us about that. Tell us about that. Well, that's a case that happened in 26th of February, 2016. There was a massive military buildup and Air Force presence in the Penturk area of Cardiff. And for three days and nights, there were um, uh, helicopters and planes and troops and military people all over the place. But in particular, there was a military spotter plane that was circling an area of Penturk, a farmland area, for three days and nights. Two planes were taken in turn with each other. One would do circles, the other would zigzag and do figure eight kind of sweeps, flying load, three days and nights, no obvious reason. And then Kaz Clark and her mm. neighbors and friends decided to do a sky watch one night. And then after some time, just to cut to the story, uh, Kaz Clark and her neighbor David uh, witnessed an E3 Century join the circle. And then sometime after that, they knew what uh, they were waiting for. The, they saw an appearance of lights which formed into this massive triangular pyramid-shaped craft, many hundreds of feet high and wide, in the farm fields that this plane had been watching, these planes. And then uh, a number of things happened. There was a, con not contact, but sort of like a, a lightning, arc of lightning from one corner of the craft made contact with the ground. There was multitude of uh, different lights, uh, red and green craft, barrel-shaped craft coming out of the top. One in particular acted like some sort of recon thing, you know, like watching around, like it was keeping an eye out. 
two other barrels came over to Cars Clark and David by uh, the gates. One of them actually uh, seemed to scan them or beam some light on them and turn from red to green, like traffic light red to green. Yeah. And um, later on, there was a, a um, Apache helicopters moving to intercept one of these barrels we now know. We believe they did intercept the, the, probably the green one that was acting like the recon. It got shot down over Smilog Woods. We know this now from multiple, multiple witnesses no. and investigations. And yeah, there's been a cover-up ever since. And since then, me and Cass Clark have been working to uncover that cover, which we finally have done. Do you ever feel like talking about this and, you know, you trying to uncover things that obviously the military and the government want to cover up? Do you ever feel a bit scared for your own safety? Um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I'm not particularly worried i mean obviously there's always that air of caution in the back of your mind but to be honest with, you, with the way things are going you know you feel like you can end up being taken up but then by any time so you might as well just carry on and just uh not be scared about it i, I mean, love look, the way you said that you know <laughs> wow yeah i suppose yeah you've just got to if, if you love it and you're fascinated with it you just you know why why you know you you've got to keep going haven't you you can't stop they could wipe you out any time if they think. So I'm just going to keep saying it, you know, and let it stick. Wow, that's absolutely fascinating. What do you think about this? Now, I'm asking all my guests that, are, you know, are UFO experts like yourself. What do you think about all the recent, more and more recent sightings? People seem to be seeing more, more and more people seemingly are becoming abducted all around the world. We're seeing these, uh, in, you know, light structures. More and more people are coming forward talking about this. Governments are now holding their hands up and saying, yes, you know, we have got files. We are looking at them seriously and so on and so on. And then, you know, this sort of belief that we will be visited by by them. They will make themselves known. And the governments are sort of... Um, sort of initiating us slowly into the idea that perhaps there is an alien life and we have been we have been being watched all these years you mean like a slow disclosure disclosure kind of thing is it yeah yeah i think that is kind of happening i think uh, that there is uh more acceptance on the subject i think more people are now becoming educated even with some of the you know lackluster uh Sky history and um, what's the other one? Discovery. I don't think they quite cover the cases. They do very well, but I think you know at least the subject is getting a bit a bit more credibility with them. So I can have to say well done on that one. But they don't cover the cases all that well. I think governments. I think the, one of the points in recent ones is in June of 2021. I think it was when the Pentagon released that report citing about 144 UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Yeah. And they basically yeah. had to say that 143 of them, they couldn't identify. They didn't know what it was. So, and I don't think they said it was China or Russia's technology either. So if you've got three big, if you've got three big superpowers with advanced technology and uh, state-of-the-art uh, equipment who can't produce these things, then the, the obvious reason must be they're not producing them. Someone else is. And if they're not coming from here, they're coming from elsewhere. So I think that really did sort of like really open people's minds a lot more about it now. What do you think you would do? What do you think is going to happen if all of a sudden a whole fleet of unidentified objects were just in the sky, you know, one night? The whole, you know, the ground was rumbling and all the rest of it. We looked up something like they'd make out of Hollywood. We looked up and thought, "Oh my God, there's thousands of them." What do you think would happen? Uh, well, if that's the case, it would be quite a bit worrying, wouldn't it? Because what's a thousand of what thousands <laughs> of them doing there? I don't know. I mean, I've always felt that if a public disclosure was going to happen with government involvement, it would have to be done. And if the East, let's say the ETs were sincere about it, then why not make it a big televised event that people can? prepare for, say, uh, a little bit, a little ways down the line, you know what I mean? Or, I mean, I've always considered that maybe the top, lead, the top, like, you know, not big countries would meet in some sort of UN-style format, some sort of neutral location, and let's just say I was the one who was, like, leading this group. I said, okay, let's give the instructions to the ETs. We're going to let them land over there, and we're going to then, you know, 
we'll have the media of the world watching as we accept them into, you know, a discussion of some sort. You know what I mean? I just hope that I'm alive to see the day. I'll be very upset. Mind you, I'll be watching from the other side. So I'll have my bag of popcorn when I'm a ghost and I'll be able to watch and be intrigued and see what's going on. Um, Gary, so so let's just talk briefly. What's your latest book that you've got out at the moment? It's called The Denby Lights, A Truthful Argument for the Existence of UFOs. And the reason I call it that is because although the subject of UFOs being a reality is more than convincing for any uh, open-minded person, I just think, you know, this particular case, this particular case, although not my biggest one, it is solid enough to say that I could point this at you and say, if you're not still not convinced in any way, shape or form, you still have doubts, then take a look at this, you know, because this case is airtight as it can be. You know, I've had I've had the videos analyzed, I've had the witnesses, I've questioned them, I've looked into every aspect and avenue of it. You just simply cannot tell me that this is a plane, a helicopter, a drone, or some other weather phenomenon that, you know, people might try to throw at it. So just, I know it's a really difficult thing to do, but just very briefly, just explain what the Denby lights are. Presumably they're lights in the sky that many people are seeing. Um, well, the Denby light is a UFO case that happened on January 3rd, 2012. It uh, was in the middle of the night in a stormy, weathery night, you know, 50 mile an hour, 60 mile an hour winds, heavy rain, cold temperatures. And it involved a family of four witnessing a series of flashing lights, which they could see was then connected to some kind of oval object that rotated slowly but silently not too far from where they lived. They've uh, observed the lights for 15 minutes. The lights uh, flashed and flickered in a randomized kind of pattern. And even at some point, it uh, started to tilt upwards, like 30 to 40 degrees. So, so it was going from horizontal to a vertical position. And it was doing that whilst remaining stationary and spinning uh, as they saw it, you know, rotating. And we've got video evidence of this as well. Oh, you have? And how, how can people see it? Can people see it? Is it being made public? I have a documentary on my Rumble channel. Uh, just type in the Dem, go to, Dem, go to rumble.com. Uh, the Denby Lights, just type it in, D-E-N-B-I-G-H, Lights. And uh, it should come up for you, or if you just do a regular Google search, it should come up either way. I, I can't wait to see that. And I know people listening will be will be on their computers going, right, I need to see this. Absolutely fascinating, Gary. I hope you come back on the show. Um, just so you know, so uh, people listening, brand new uh, book, Denby Lights, that's out. People can get that on Amazon, I presume, and in bookstores. They can buy it off of Amazon. Um, uh, just type in the Denby Lights, and it's under um, yeah, it's under the Denby Lights UFO. I think that would be the best way for people to find it. Denby Lights UFO. Type it in, and that would be how you find it. Oh, wonderful! You'll have an uptick in lots of people suddenly going on and having a look at all your all your videos. Thank you so very much, Gary. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we'll speak to you very soon. I'm sure. Well, I hope. Well, as we wrap up our investigation, it's clear that the phenomena of alien abductions is still shrouded in mystery. While some abductees report terrifying experiences, others describe encounters that are almost spiritual in nature. Whatever the truth is, it's clear that this is a topic that will continue to fascinate and intrigue people for years to come. But before we go this week, it's time to get the answer to your fact or fiction. David Bowie was said to have seen UFOs as a child. Was it fact or was it fiction? Come on, shout at me. What do you think it was? And... Yes, some of you are right. That is fact. As a child, he said he saw so many UFOs that he simply got used to them. And as an adult, saw an unidentifiable... Uh, object hovering over a field that he believed was a projection of my own mind trying to make sense of this quantum topological doorway into dimensions beyond our own, he said. Um, and somebody else that is actually quoted as saying he saw a UFO was John Lennon. I think he was in Los Angeles and he I think he was standing on a roof or something outside and he described seeing this UFO. 
Uh, and the way he talks about it with such passion and conviction, and I'm a huge John Lennon fan, as you know. So, of course, the guy's telling the truth, and of course he saw him. So have you seen a UFO, uh, or is there a site or a location or a topic that you think we need to cover on the podcast? If you do, get in touch with me and share your stories at this address. It's contact at paranormalpod.co.uk, and you know I love hearing your voice, so please leave me a voice note and this is the number on whatsapp it's 075-999-27537 we are on instagram where a lot of the time when i talk about particular stories that have images pictures videos and so on this is where we'll share them and the address is uh, or the handle rather is at paranormal activity pod stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow and we should be back again same time next week but if you can't wait until then visit www.paranormalpod.co.uk where you can find options to get episodes a day early have a great week stay safe and remember things aren't always as they seem even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.